Hello everyone, it's Thursday the 21st of October and welcome to episode 78 of the Kite Podcast with me, Will Evans. Ben is unable to join us today because he has tech problems, uh, the joys of modern technology. Now, the chat that many farmers are having at the moment, and I was at uh, uh, in the livestock market yesterday and many of us were talking about this, uh, through gritted teeth is around high fertilizer prices and so today we thought we'd focus on input prices both for feed and fertilizer looking at the short and long-term consequences of where we are at the moment as chris has described over the past few weeks this of course sits in the context of strong prices in the markets but what do margins look like for producers overall well, to discuss all this and more, we're joined by two Kite partners, Paul Mesa and Tim Davis. And as always, we're joined by everybody's favourite dairy market analyst, Chris Walkland. Chris, over to you for the Milk Market Report. Where are you this week? Well, I'm bringing you my report from DFS, the sofa store, because I think this is going to be a scary early Halloween podcast. And when things are scary... There's only one place to go, and that's behind the sofa. And DFS have lots to hide behind. And why might it be scary? No, it's not because the trade deal with New Zealand has been announced, even though the NFU says it's scary. It's because we've got Tim and Paul on the podcast. And the only time they are wheeled out is when things are rubbish, like forage, or expensive, like cake. <laughs> Normally they come on individually, but now we've got both of them on the show at once, so I reckon things must be doubly bad. <laughs> so be afraid, be very afraid, I say, and get behind your sofa now. Personally, though, I'm not very happy with them being on at all because I'm consistently de- delivering some good news and they're going to ruining it. They're going to ruin it, rather, by littering this podcast with not just one F word, but three, feed, fuel, and that which can no longer be named. And to what degree they will become Kite's very own professor's doom and gloom, we'll have to see. Still, whatever they say, I'm sure we'll forgive them. Tim, for instance, is such a soft melodic welsh accent he could pop round to steal your kids and you'd still end up shaking his hand <laughs> paul well paul's from derbyshire and it must be frustrating <clears throat> to live there a eh, becky being near to but not quite in yorkshire so we'll forgive him can't let everybody in no you can't <laughs> anyway before they unleash hell with their costs Here, as ever, is the heavenly beauty of my market report. The GDT went in the right direction again this week, although not by much. Nevertheless, I reckon the prices on the commodities convert to 33 to 34p. And I reckon that's up 1p on the last auction. It's moving in the right direction, therefore. Arla's skin powder had a very good auction. Uh, settling out higher than Fonterra's for for only the second time I can remember, and for nearly €3,000. On the European markets, well, last week Dutch Dutch Butter posted a stonking €300 per tonne increase, and it's up another €200 this week. 
to 4,910 euros, the highest price since September 2018. And traders are reporting prices even higher than that. Skin powder also increased uh, to, to 900 euros. But again, processors are talking over 3,000 euros. So would you like me to tell you what that milk price converts to? Hey, uh, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I will. 34.69 whole pennies. That's how much. 34.69. Now just remember that when professors doom and gloom get you down, it means there should be more money in your milk processors pot coming your way sometime soon. But the not so good news is sterling has strengthened a bit uh, to over 118 and that's wiped 100 quid off butter prices. So one to watch on currency. The futures are showing some good gains. Skin powder on the futures is over 3000 euros. Butter as high as 4,900, and I think it will go to five. And they convert to, get this listeners, 36p on the board for December, and that's after two pence for transport and two pence for a processor margin. But don't think you're going to get 36p, because you won't. <laughs> but listen to this, everyone. Did you hear it? Listen again. That's the noise of the farming unions and farmers screaming at their processors for more money to pay for all those extra costs the professor boffs are going to talk about soon. In other words, there isn't any noise, or at least I'm not picking much noise up. I think there needs to be a lot more soon. Anyway, back to the markets. Cream hasn't done a lot this week and is still at or around £2 a kilo. And spot milk is also the same, I think, at 40 to 45p. I've not had many cheese reports in this week, but that won't have changed much here in the UK. Uh, so still positive in the short term. And mozzarella, I think, has gained in Europe to closing in on 3,000 sterling equivalent. But I am seeing some worrying drops in the Gouda price for quarter 122. But I've no idea why. It's a bit of a worry, though. So that's it. The good news is over for this podcast. Now it's over to the two boffs to put the dampers on things. But just remember, if they get too gloomy, you can always rewind to my bit and listen to me again. And who wouldn't want to do that? Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> good news. Positive good... markets are going to your head, Chris. <laughs> Start calling you good news, Walkland, seeing Chris at this rate. <laughs> Paul, welcome back to the show. Um, fair prices are the subject on everybody's lips, as we mentioned in the intro. Can you set the scene, first of all, and just explain why we're in this position in the first place and, and what's going on? Will? Um, I hope that you've got a good dentist because there'll be a bit more gritting and grinding of teeth uh, to come for a while yet, I'm afraid. Um, so let's give a little bit of background on the fertiliser side where um, really we've seen the perfect storm that sent uh, natural gas prices surging. Uh, 
We came through the summer when stocks were already tight for the time of year. Um, the amount of gas that uh, the Russians were letting us have via the uh, Gazprom pipeline um, is at its lowest for uh, many years. Um, we coupled that with global demand picking up as economies recovered from COVID. And then if you can remember back to those balmy days of uh, mid-September when all the wind turbines were stationary yeah. and um, we had uh, very little electricity being produced from renewables, um, the uh, one of the two big cables bringing surplus electricity in from France managed to catch fire. Um, so we had a big surge in gas demand for producing uh, domestic electricity here in the UK. Um, day ahead, gas prices shot up to over 270 pence a therm um, at the end of September. Um, they have eased back a little bit, um, but they're still about four times as high as they were back in the spring. So the context where we are with fertiliser is that natural gas is the major more raw material for um, ammonium nitrate manufacture and um, the Harbour Bosch process is also a very intensive um, energy uh, consumer as well. So we saw um, all the major fertiliser manufacturers either shutting plants down or putting them on uh, much more limited production schedules yeah. and um, that um, you know that sent really sent the hairs running and um, it's probably only the fact that uh, people like Chris like fizzy beer um, and need CO2 uh, to make that fizz that um, they've actually been reopened up at all. Yeah. So that's yeah. where we are with the uh, with the overall picture on the fertilizer side. Yeah. And are, are we talking about rises in prices for all inputs or are some seeing greater increases than others? Um, well, I'll let Tim put the detail on the feed side of things, but if we if we look at fertilizer specifically, then yes, everything is going up, but nitrogen is the one that's uh, really boomed. Uh, P and K are mined and not manufactured, so um, there isn't that higher processing cost. But obviously, with everything else um, increasing in price, the, the you know the cost of extracting those out the ground has has increased. So. We are seeing P and K go up, but not in the same uh, not in the same multiples that we are seeing nitrogen. Yeah. What sort of numbers are you seeing, Paul, at the moment for AN? Because it, yeah, I mean, it's shifting daily, isn't it? But um, yes, it's one of those uh, things. It's like nailing jelly to the wall, really. <laughs> um, you, uh, you 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 hear a price, go and uh, go and take action on it, and then you find it's been withdrawn, only to be uh, re-announced. Uh, sort of a couple of days later with another 30 40 quid on um so um the the latest that i've picked up is around the 640 to 650 pound a ton uh for 34 and a half percent n jeez i told you it'd be gloomy yeah well, well are you worried about availability because i suppose the, the price is one thing but the you know if you're saying they've only been restarted and, and we obviously know the government deal with cf but you know, are you worried about them being turned off again? Because that's a limited time deal, isn't it? I think. Um, I'm. I am. I am worried about supply um, because um, we've only got a relatively small proportion of the um, of the capacity being used at the moment. Um, I think there's there's only the plant at uh, the, the CF plant that's um, running at full capacity. 
Um, the others are, are, are still on part time. And we also import a lot of ammonium nitrate from, from Europe as well. And uh, the European um, manufacturers are, are cutting back as well. So if you couple that with um, the, the haulage problems that we're seeing with every commodity, um, if we're not, um, yeah, if we're, if we're not careful and aren't ahead of the game, we could get to spring um, and find that uh, there's nothing on the yard that, uh, that um, to spread with, even when we want to. So uh, I'm afraid it's going to be one of these situations where you know we we, we may have to bite some fairly nasty bullets. Mm. Phosphates are worry as well, isn't it, Paul? Did I say that China aren't going to have, have cut their exports quite dramatically? Yes. Yeah, um, there, there's, uh, there's the, uh, there's the production um, side of things, but there's also the um, the growing the growing mm. demand globally as well, um, mm. as, uh, as as every everybody uh, uh, everybody has to gear up to produce more to to feed yeah. the growing population. Yeah, I suspect that on most dairy farms, though, phosphates are probably mm. less of an issue. Um, in terms of a deficit and more in more an issue in terms of a surplus so yeah uh, yeah yeah i was i was asking with my crop growers hat on there <laughs> <laughs> um, chris are we seeing any direct short-term reactions in the markets and, and might there be any medium or long-term impact well the initial reaction of course is the commodity markets with the bulk butter and bulk powders mm-hmm. um going up there is a reaction on the spot cheddar market, but the thing is about the spot cheddar is that there's very little uh, spot cheddar being traded at the moment. Some processors are on uh, formula trackers relating to the milk price. So there, there will be a reaction um, by some processors to that. Generally speaking, though, the retailers are not listening to the processes when they mm. talk about the costs that are coming through the supply chain uh, and that's costs for the farmers and costs for the processes they just don't want to hear it uh, they are going to have to hear it because some of the processes an increasing number are playing hardball and if the uh, the retailers and the food service customers aren't going to pay then the milk will go elsewhere mm. and remarkably and you just can't believe this and it just goes to show how stupid some uh, buyers are the response from some buyers has to been as as has been to go out to tender so one processor their supplier says more well, we're gonna have to put the price up and they say okay we'll go out to tender and guess what they can't get what they want Mm. from elsewhere so that's what's happening in the market the good news is that kite are doing a report about supply chain costs it is in the pipeline um, and that will uh, be published soon and i think will be a very comprehensive look at what's happening in the supply chain and will hopefully help um, the industry to lever up um, end use prices for um, for the whole supply chain yeah okay paul what are your farmer clients telling you at the moment about how it's impacting them right now um or what their thoughts or concerns are um there's there's a great deal of concern out there at the moment will um it's uh it's, it's very unsettling um 
as Chris has said, the milk markets are positive, um, but this hasn't been reflected back um, in the milk yeah. checks yet. Um, and even when we do see those price announcements come through, it's still going. There's still going to be quite a lag time before, um, you know, b- b- before before they start to land in the bank. Um, that coupled with the fact that the higher feed bills are, you know, are already having to be paid, uh, fuel prices are rising inexorably, and um, as we've already discussed, you know, the FERC prices are at eye-watering levels. Um, and um, yeah, there's uh, there's there's real concerns over over cash flows at the moment. Yeah. So, what are the golden rules, if there are any, that farmers should be sticking to right now? You know, instinct might be to use less of everything, maybe, but would that be a risky strategy? Uh, yes, um, it would be. It would be a risky strategy to just uh, slash and burn. Um, livestock farming is a is a long game, and um, the, any knee jerk reactions mm-hmm. now uh, could well come back to haunt people in the future. And uh, if we have um, the, uh, the the situation where these higher milk prices do come through um, in uh, in twenty twenty two, the last place you want to be is to have a herd of cows that are not in calf and not producing. Uh, as they should, um, and therefore you're unable to take advantage of those higher prices. So coming back to the first part of your question um, about the uh, about the golden rules, really, um, from a from a forage production perspective, then really we need to make sure that uh, every kilogram of fertilizer that we use uh, does as much for us as possible. Forage costs are inevitably going to go up. But on a relative feed value basis, they're still very competitive to the purchase feeds. Uh, so we can't just um, hope that Mother Nature, you know, saves our bacon and uh, and hope for the best. So um, there's been quite a bit of research done um, across the globe looking at um, how much, uh, how many kilograms of dry matter of forage we can get from a kilogram of nitrogen applied and the, the returns are very variable across the season. So I think we need to be looking at uh, getting maximum bang for our buck, um, which means feeding the grass when it's going to give us the best response. So uh, we do really need to be in a position uh, to, uh, to, to to sort of grow our first and second cuts when under normal circumstances we should have you know peak, peak grass growth potential. And... Um, Slurry is going to be our friend next season. So getting the most out of that is going to be absolutely crucial. Um, I always recommend that people get slurry tested before spreading because I've never, ever seen a sample come back um, as per the book value. Uh, We need to be spreading as accurately as possible. Um, Using a dribble bar or a trailing shoe um, will increase the nitrogen availability by 5% or more. Uh, relative to a splash plate so there's those there's those little things that we can do Uh, I did some calculations last week and based on the fertilizer prices of last week then a cubic meter of slurry is worth about £4.25 in nutrients available to the following crop so to put that into perspective a two and a half thousand gallon tanker has probably got about 50 quid worth of nutrients in it Mm. Um, so um, really the uh, um, the 
that the organic manures with the high available N um, are going to be the golden child uh, when it comes to helping us out next spring. And look who's finally joined us, Ben Eagle, finally um, overcoming his Always late issues. to the party. Yeah, no, with, uh, some Somerset has allowed me to join. <laughs> Making a fashionably late Essex entrance. <laughs> with his glitter. Uh, ironically, sure I'm not even, not even in Essex. <laughs> uh, anyway, Tim, let's um, let's go over to you. Um, let's talk about feed. What, what are the what are the feed challenges? And what are you seeing with clients um, in terms of formulating diets? Um, the, 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 there's there's quite a few challenges. The um, costs are one challenge. You know, costs have shot up. Um, Reapseed is is now price on application, and uh, and when you can get it, it's sort of in the region of three hundred pounds for this winter. Um, uh, compounders, blenders. If 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 you try and put put a sort of suggestion for a twenty eight percent blend to them, they'll they'll say you can't have that. It's not available. You can't have that. It's not available. The the choice of raw materials is sort of shrinking in the country, so. Um, rapeseed ending stocks uh, uh, this season were at one and a half million tonnes. Four years ago, that was about seven million tonnes. Um, rapeseed levels this winter are, are so low, it's on the cards that the globe will run out of rape going into um, 2020. So you'll find very few um, people, there, this, there, there is rape still for sale. But, but I think it's presenting sort of serious challenges to the industry. And I think um, I, I think it's it's already happening. People are switching to other sources of protein, uh, mainly soy. Yeah. Um, because soy has come down in price to around 350, 340, even prices of 320. And uh, and uh, and where something like rape is unavailable or or or, or seriously expensive, um, you're limited on your choices. Yeah. So, so in, in general terms, um, what would you advise to clients right now in, in terms of their feed strategy? Um, I would hope that they've sort of already covered the requirements for the winter uh, that's ahead of us. Um, the, 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 if, if they haven't, they need to crack on and, and sort of get whatever um, they need sorted and be prepared uh, to be disappointed and, and to be open-minded to look at alternative options. Um, on the rape side, there are pro- you know products like Nova Pro, for instance. There's Expeller Rape about, um, there's Distillers about, and 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 there's Soya. Uh, uh, Paul has talked about fertilizer prices. Well, feed grade urea disappeared uh, off the market about about two or three weeks ago. Um, Paul was saying how prices are sort of moving day by day. So it's, it's exactly the same with the feed market, and um, so I think farmers need to sort of book forward. Um, you know, start planning for next summer now because next summer's prices are, are on the match. Um, uh, rate prices, for instance, for April, May are in the order of £260 a tonne. Um, a few weeks ago, that would have been about 230 240 and a few weeks before that, about 220 So it's, it's, it's everything's just ramping up. Um, one of the keys is to, is, 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 You've got to keep feeding cows. You know, if you if you cut back on on feed, then um, consequences are 
dropping milk, you know, which is which is bad enough, but but also potentially you'll knock fertility. Uh, if you knock fertility, you'll have less calvings next year. Less calvings next year means less milk next winter. So so the knee jerk reaction of some will be to cut production, and and it's probably the very opposite thing they should do because that'll just result in a much longer period of pain. Because no doubt milk price will start to catch up. It'll, it'll have to catch up because milk flow is going to going to drop. Um, there's a lot of poor quality silage out there. Mm. Uh, we're already looking at silages at 10.8 me fiber levels over over 50. You know, there's not a lot of milk in those forages. So if you don't feed cows, then the processors and buyers are going to find their short. Um, and um, and uh, and for farmers, if they don't feed them then the fertility will go and, and the damage will be more long-term. It'll be 18 months. Mm. So it'll be very similar. Sorry, Ben, it'll be very similar to what we saw 2015. It's almost the opposite effect, isn't it? So we, we had low milk prices and then the instinct was, you know, you, you cut the cloth accordingly because there's yeah. bills to pay. But but the legacy, Tim, you'll have seen it on farm. I mean, how, how long did the some of those changes that you've just talked about and warned farmers against making, how long did the legacy of those last? It's funny, I had a conversation with a farmer yesterday about this. And back in 2015, they did cut feed, uh, feed, feed uh, you know, the level feed, the feed rate of feeding, and, and they did lose fertility. And, and the guy said it, it was 18 months. Is that right? Yeah. Before, yeah. before they got the milk flow mm. and before they were able to sort of um, in, 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 you know, re- recover and, and, and enjoy the sort of improved milk price that sort of followed 250. Yeah. So, so actually taking that point and, and the lessons that were learned from that time, um, looking forward, and I suppose this is a, a question to both of you, really, um, but what would you recommend that, that dairy farmers do in the short term, which we've, we've re- already reflected on, um, but principally in the longer run, um, ensuring this this resilience in times when input prices particularly are higher? Paul, can we start with you on that one? Yeah, I think probably the uh, the, the the main message is to uh, is, is is to try and stay calm, uh, stay focused. Um, your business is set up in the way that uh, works best for your farm, um, so make sure that uh, you continue along that same vein. I would um, sort of uh, suggest looking at um, uh, at your cash flows very closely. Um, making sure that uh, you've got uh, any any extra overdraft facilities in place that you might need in the short term until such time as the uh, milk price catches up with the uh, with the input prices. Um, just do everything that you possibly can to uh, to, to maintain a, a sense of normality and um, and try to avoid uh, um, firefighting um, actions. Really, yeah, and, and Tim. I think Paul has said it all. Really, um, <clears throat> the only other thing you, you could do is, is plan for next year's first cut, as uh, and and well, next season's sort of silages. You know, we, we've had a bad summer, uh, poor quality second, well, poor quality first, seconds, and thirds, and um, and and and, and let, let's try and plan not to repeat that next year because f- feed costs, concentrate costs next year could easily be in the order of three hundred pounds a ton. And um, and uh, and at those sort of costs, uh, it's really important to have some good forage on the farm. So 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 planning to make good quality forage. The the feed market, if this is not going to be, this is not a short term blip. 
you know, we, we are seeing global shortages of maize, um, wheat, um, rapeseed. And, and so there's pressure on all these commodities. Um, a, a few, so back in July, there was only about five weeks worth of maize f- left in the free world uh, before things start to run out. You know, and, and that's the seriousness of, of where we are at the moment. You were talking about some data that you'd seen the other day, Tim, about maize and the effect, the impact globally of fertilizer prices on what crop choices people were making. Oh yeah, sorry, thank you for reminding me of that. Yeah, 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 yeah that, that's grim as well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to throw myself out the window after this episode. Oh, Thursday morning, everybody. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Maize, maize as a crop is really important because it's 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 the biggest cereal crop on the globe, and um, maize the volume of maize and the price of maize dictates the price of wheat, and so wheat is going up because of pressure largely on maize. Um, but uh, but the, one of the consequences of these high fertilizer costs is um, farmers in in the US, for instance, they have a choice; they can grow. Uh, um, maize or soya next spring, they, or what, what they, they can plant, sorry, maize or soya next spring. And one, one of the challenges they face is with the high fertilizer costs, growing maize is the cost of growing maize sort of doubled, whereas the cost of growing soya have increased, but not, not as much because soya is a legume, it doesn't need nearly as much nitrogen. So US farmers could make choose not to plant as much maize. There could be a 5-10% switch away from planting maize to planting more soya. So the world could be awash with soya next, next, next autumn, but, but the pressure on maize will be, will be even worse. And that's, that's, that's one of the sort of risks we face. I know, Tim, you, you've for quite a lot of years advocated a, a move away from soya and to, towards rape and, and have had some really good results on farm in terms of one cost and, and two production and, and I suppose now we've got the overlayer of environmental um, elements aside from the accounting of soya in the climate um, mm. or in the carbon accounting uh, sphere what what you know if this differential reduces there'll be an inevitable shift backwards inevitable yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, you okay. Know, you you can reduce protein levels in cow diets. You 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 could cut protein levels down to sort of sixteen percent. So then, the, but the, but a lot of people have already trimmed protein. There's not many people feeding more than seventeen percent protein these days. So um, there's a little bit of saving potentially there, but but the, but that risks cutting production. But if you switch to using soya, um, um, that. Soya is still more expensive than rape, so that's automatically going to increase your feed costs. And, um, and uh, uh, yes, it'll impact on your carbon footprint, but, but soya is not quite as good a protein either. It's lower in methionine than rape. It doesn't have the same sort of level of histidine as rape. Um, and in trials and on farms, I don't think cows milk as well on soya as they do on rape. But... Um, but uh, it's a switch we're going to have to do, I'm afraid, because uh, if there's no rape about, that's that's what's going to happen. Yeah, so it's probably a really important point that Tim's just made. Actually, what what most farmers need to be need to do if if they don't already is have a really strong gra- grasp on their cost of production and and the impact, not just of you know we've talked a lot today about input 
prices uh, been on the rise and, and how that might in fact in, impact uh, profitability. Um, but I suppose the other bit that we haven't mentioned today is this is overlaid, I suppose, with the um, the reduction of BPS. And um, f- for anybody who hasn't seen, Kai are delivering a Steps to Success programme, um, which is funded by the DEFRA Resilience Programme. So if anybody's listening and, and doesn't feel like they've got a full handle on where they are in terms of cost of production, they can sign up to that programme. It's fully funded. Um, and, and with the support of a kite consultant and then also um, an online port- portal for putting your data in and, and you know, group meetings follow up, um, you could come out of the other end of that, you know, certainly knowing the impact that it'll have and, and hopefully taking some step, steps to, to mitigate um, its severity on, on or its impact on your business. Oh, it's a slightly more positive note to finish on. um that is all we have time for but a big thank you to our guests paul mesa tim davis and chris Falkland. yes thank you very much for listening we'll be back next friday when hopefully my connection will be better i'll be back from holiday ship so it should be better Uh, but for now it's goodbye from all of us here